0: Kia ora and welcome to Deloitte New Zealand's State of the State 2019 podcast series. I'm Dave Lovett, Deloitte's Public sector Lead, based here in Wellington. This series follows the topics from this year's State of the State series. In it, we explore inequities from different perspectives, how these inequities affect us, and what we can do to reduce them to build a fair future for all Kiwis. This series has been written in partnership with Victoria University of Wellington's School of Government. Today, I'm joined by co author of Article 6, Deloitte Associate Director Lisa Tai. And our special guests today are Iono Matthew Elioni, uh, Deputy CEO of Policy, Research and Evaluation from the Ministry for Pacific Peoples, and Leilani Tamu, Manager for Pacific Policy at MBI. Malo Elele and Nisa Bula, welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. Thank you. No, no, no. So we're going to be talking about our sixth article in the series, Delivering Better Outcomes Together, where Lisa, along with co-authors Jenny Liu and Tamara Lloyd, look at how we can develop services and policies that reflect our diverse and changing cultures. If you haven't already, you can read it at deloitte.com nz state of the state. Lisa, I was just wondering if you could start us off by talking to some of the key themes from your article.
1: Sure, I think the main um, maybe two takeaways that I had from the article was yes, there are some challenges and there are some issues for our communities, but also it's more importantly there are huge opportunities for our Pacific people and also when we look at the future of the workforce. So, you know, I think yes, we can get drawn into talking about the sort of challenges and issues, but also more importantly, what are we going to do to sort of exploit the opportunities that are ahead of us? I think the second point was really around the importance of Pacifica people being in the middle and the centre of the design, right you know, right from the beginning of conception to delivery. And I think, you know, it'll be really hard to get it right if we don't have Pacifica people right at the middle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I Matthew, from a, a policy perspective, what what are some of the things that, that you're doing in the in the ministry to address the, the barriers and the behaviours and, and putting Pacifica people in the in the middle?
2: Yeah, thanks David, and um, yeah, really good question, and, and um, I, I must say, um, when I read the article, I, I thought it was pretty much bang on, in terms of some of the issues that we try to grapple with, so in terms of, I mean, ideally we focus on the, the public sector, but it is trying to improve that cultural intelligence, the CQ, we, we, we make a lot of of emotional intelligence, but I think the cultural intelligence is something that the Ministry for Pacific Peoples has been working on. I know there was reference to the Treasury model, but we we have a tool um, that uh, is called Kapasan, which is around um, decision making, policy decision making, and some of the cultural um, sensitivities and mindfulness things that you need to be aware of, and in, in terms of developing. Policies. Um, I also have this tool called Javu, which is really about how you bring Pacific people uh, in a room and, and be mindful of their cultural uh, sensibilities too. So we are trying to mainstream that across the public sector, and it um, has been endorsed by DPMC, and it's one thing we work quite closely with um, MB uh, on this as well. It was just saying there are these tools available, and I'm not saying it's it's the only tool, but I think it all starts with understanding um, the Pacific as a people. We're, we're a significant segment of the New Zealand economy now, but we're only due to um, get bigger in the next 15-20 years. Yeah.
0: And, and how are you finding the understanding of Pacific people as in New Zealand today? Is, is, you, know, you mentioned that's, that's the first hurdle. Is there communication, is there understanding that needs to be built across the broader New Zealand community of uh, the history and the role of Pacific people in New Zealand?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, our um, profile in the community has um, tended to wax and wane, and, and I think, um, I'd like to say modestly, that, that I think we're on a bit of a high at the moment, and the one thing we do have oversight for is um, the Pacific Language Weeks. So we just recently finished the New one, we had the Fiji one before that, and then the Tuvalu one, and it's nice to see it across not just public sector, but private sector too. And it is a key part of what we're trying to do is promote the language that It's not just okay to be Pacific, we want you to to be Pacific, and one of the big investments we got out of the wellbeing budget for last year was around $20 million to stand up a unit within the Ministry for Pacific Peoples to promote the revitalisation of of languages. So we're almost three, four months into that. I think that's a bit of a commitment from the government um, to say we do want to revitalise languages, but I, I think the public sector's come some way. I've been in the public sector roughly 16, 17 years now. I think they've always been open, but whether the thought and effort has really gone into it, I'm not too sure when I first started, but I think to see big agencies like Orana Tamariki embrace um, Pacific languages, I think we have come some way, but we're not quite there yet.
0: <laughs> Leilani, from, from a business and, and economic perspective, what, what's, what's the opportunity for uh, getting Pacific peoples more... Uh, more involved more equitably involved with uh, with New Zealand's economy there's
3: a huge opportunity both for our community as pasificer but also the country as a whole so pasificer people's the median age is 22 Uh, So just that in and of itself is huge, right? So 50% of our population group um, is in school right now. And, you know, from our experience, they're young, they're ambitious, they're keen, they bring a whole suite of... Different skills and worldviews that we need. You know, we often, as as um, organisations, we talk about the value of diversity of thinking, and I think our community, because we are diverse, um, that's just something that's inherent that comes back to the point I almost said about cultural intelligence. So we we're young, youthful, and we're growing. So currently, we're eight percent of the population. The issue for me is how do we harness the strategic risks that we know exist, particularly in the context of future work? So at moment, um, if you look at the existing Pacific workforce, we make up about 160,000 of New Zealand workers. And so within that group, what we've observed in terms of trends is that we have a heavy weighting in industries and sectors, which are already undergoing rapid change in terms of digitisation, manufacturing, for example. So about 15% of our current workforce is in manufacturing. And the other concern for me is that we're also seeing growth in terms of our Pacific people still going into those low-wage roles in that sector. So for me, it is about partnering in a different way with industry, and it's about having different conversations about actually how do we shift the dial in terms of really maximising the value and skills and diverse worldviews that Pacific peoples bring to this country.
0: Mm -hmm. And, And so... In terms of the, the roles and the impact, that, that then is a conversation that sits within that future work conversation and that the government is engaged with, that businesses is engaged with and, and unions are engaged with at the
3: moment? Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's the space right now that we're particularly focusing on and actually right now at this moment one of my team is delivering um, a sort of presentation to industry representations from manufacturing to, to have this conversation. Um, and then the other side of it, of course, is that youthful piece, and so it's thinking about how do we shift the dull in terms of our education um, system into the labour market, because what we're seeing is we do have um, under trends which are manifesting, so even our top um, uh, young people coming up with university degrees that what's happening is they're coming into entry-level roles that actually don't fully recognise the skills and qualifications they have. So even when you look at sort of the level of investment we're putting in for our young people um, in those STEM career areas, for example, what we aren't seeing is different outcomes in terms of playing out in the labour market. So again, we need to have new conversations about, in that world of work, actually how can we get employers to start to think about the value of cultural intelligence, to think about different personal values that people from different cultures may bring. Um, So as a really small example, uh, a key motivator that the evidence shows for a Pacific worker is generally loyalty, a sense of deep service, a sense of humility, not wanting to be the first person to put their hand up, because that might be seen or interpreted in a way that you're seen as arrogant or a tall poppy, if you like. Um, So what often happens is that Pacific peoples wait for their employers to recognise their value. And when those things don't happen because they aren't putting themselves forward, um, they get overlooked and they don't get that sense of value in their work. And actually that then has a perverse effect in terms of them not going for leadership roles in organisations, which is a missed opportunity again for all.
0: Yeah. And, and, And Lisa, the... The article talks about uh, cultural values and in fact how some of those, many of those cultural values are shared across Maori, Pacific, Asian cultures and, and reading it, uh, many of those cultural values resonated with me as a Pakeha New Zealander. How do we build on those shared values and, and bring a cultural lens to addressing inequities, whether it's from a public sector perspective or, or even a business perspective?
1: I think around the values piece, and especially when I look at our own sort of workforce and within professional services, I think we need to find a way to make sure that our people can bring their whole selves, and I know it sounds very cliche when we say it, but bring your whole selves to work, so that actually everything that's important to you is celebrated, and it's not seen as sort of a tick-the-box exercise, but actually, you know, sort of the values around humility and collective, you know, sort of approaches. actually something that we recognise as a good leader. And so therefore, you know, sort of when we look at our leadership pool, making sure the people we're promoting and bringing through, that is sort of at the front and centre of why they are a good leader. It's not sort of promoting people because they are from Māori or Pacific or underrepresented population. It's actually making sure that collectively within the organisations we are celebrating those values and saying that actually we recognise that these are really important. Yeah, so I think it's just making sure that we're not we're doing it in a very genuine way when we say that we recognise the values of our people and what that means for a good leader.
3: For me, fundamentally, it comes down to two things. So it's the investment that organisations are willing to make in terms of thinking about a different set of capabilities that they're going to need for the future. And it doesn't matter whether it's public sector or private sector organisations. It's thinking about your business model This population group is going to be the workforce of the future. So an investment now in thinking about actually do my managers have intercultural competency and capability skills is actually an investment for the future. It's a smart investment. And I think the work in this article that Lisa's done and the work that's been done internationally around the value of this productivity actually is quite compelling and my concern is, as Aion all said, actually, we are already slightly behind the eight ball as a country um, in that we haven't actually gotten to know um, our own diversity, I think the depth of diversity that we have very well. And so we actually kind of have to catch up as well as get ahead of the curve. And so it does mean that we have to have some really honest conversations. It means we need to start looking, for example, how many managers do we have in those top-tier roles that are actually um, from diverse cultural backgrounds? And if what we find as executive leaders is that 98% are from one cultural group, then we've got a problem. And part of that, resolving that problem, is we need to have honest conversations about what capabilities are missing around how to manage, manage a diverse workforce. Uh, I want to,
0: from a, a, a government policy and practice perspective, how might might this play out in terms of addressing the inequities, addressing uh, some of the the behaviours that give rise to it, Uh, unconscious bias for example, uh, policies that uh, are built on the practices of the past and don't necessarily reflect the diverse society that we have within New Zealand? Yeah, I might um,
2: give a personal uh, view on this. I think given we are behind, and, and I think in terms of senior leadership in the public sector at like 2.2%, uh, and I think we, we do need to, to jolt the system uh, a little bit. I was really intrigued, something came up on my LinkedIn feed around uh, transparency around gender inequality at in Westpac, mm-hmm. and, and and I think we do publish um, that information uh, and I think the ECC do it, but um, I, I think we probably do need a bit more transparency around exactly where you are in the uh, organisation and the comparative data as well, because a lot has made that, you know, um, Pacific are doing different jobs, but, you know, the differential is 20% and I think it's 27% for Pacific women in, in the public sector. And uh, I just don't think that's good enough. And we talk about collecting a bit more data, but I'll I'll be honest, from a personal point of view, we've got the data, and and I think um, we've got to do something a little bit different. The point that you made, um, Lisa, is absolutely right around um, recognising that Pacific come with a set of values, and in fact, in a lot of ways, um, makes a lot of economic sense. We're more collaborative, and um, we don't. Generally like the confrontation, and and sometimes um, it does affect our money a little bit if we're seen as engaging in quite a confrontational thing. And I and I think there's value uh, in that. So I think in terms of changing the system, there are some hard truths, and I and I think there's going to be some actions that we need to take around pay transparency, uh, around how performance is recognised, and that's um, basically looking at performance uh, management um, systems and. You know, where do you rate those, you know, humility, you know, the service element, because a lot of the Pacific values, even though each Pacific is um, distinct in their own right, they really boil down to, to things like, um, you know, alofa, love, um, to a tour, service, uh, and humility. So I think that needs to be more hardwired into um, some of the performance management frameworks. But as soon as you start talking about that, you get a little bit uh, controversial, but I think, from my personal view, there's just not enough of us making it through the system. And when I first started, we'd been talking about it back then. Uh, EEO was the was the sort of flagship program. So, and it just feels like we're in the same place, and every conversation we have feels like the same conversation.
3: Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would add to that is we also have to be very practical and strategic at the same time. So, for example, with an EMB, are the biggest policy shop. And so what we, the conversations we've been having, um, which I've personally found really reassuring, have been actually what investment do we need to be making as an organisation to support our people into leadership? And so this year, for example, we partnered with Leadership New Zealand and we put three mid-career Pacific staff into the Manamoana leadership experience. And the change in those individuals, reported not just by them, but also their managers, has been transformative eight months of investment, it's it's shifted, you know. And so for us, now actually we can have those conversations about the next step, and that's with the SEC and others in terms of how do we now take them to the next level. And it might be that actually we have a transitional period of time where what we need to do is start to actually do that in a way that's very precise but very practical and strategic at the same time. So those are the conversations, I guess, in this second quarter of the financial year I'm hoping to start to have with my colleagues, particularly at um, MPP, because you are our primary partner. How do we do that across the sector? Because what we know, and this is the beauty of, of the way Pasifika work, is one investment in one Pacific person, actually it, the leverage is one to 10, if not more. Because we live collectively, we operate collectively, and so you shift the change for that whole household, and then that contributes into a wider community change. So, and I've seen that with some of the things, for example, MPP's done, I've seen that um, shift. And what we need, though, is to get the wider buy-in from organisations about that investment and partnering with us.
1: Can I just say that everything that I think Leigh, Lani, and Iona have already covered is the same same challenges for the private um, sector as well and and if nothing else public sector probably actually ahead of the private sector in terms of even having a think about what does that mean for our people within a private sort of setting and i think um it's so important to get it right from a pipeline perspective for our young people right so when you think about our grads coming through if you can't see senior leaders that look like you it's really hard to stay engaged and stay committed and and to see that there is a sort of a pathway for you so i think Completely resonates with me having been, you know, sort of 13 years in professional services. Completely mirrors, but we're probably a couple of steps behind, I would have thought, in the private sector as well, in terms of addressing it.
0: Yeah, even, even though I think uh, a number of organizations have published reports that show that the, the business case for greater diversity is a compelling business case. Uh, the take up is is not necessarily there. A lot of the institutional barriers and unconscious bias remains. What what would success look like? What's what's the kind of outcome that we would celebrate and hold up as being a a better outcome for New Zealand and for Pacific people in New
2: Zealand? Yeah, I think one of the the key areas for the ministry is around. Um, it's not just about incomes; it is about um, that wealth creation and. On a number of measures, Pacifica are, are, are poor, and and I think the the median wealth for most of New Zealand was eighty two thousand. For Pacific, is something like twelve thousand, and the home ownership rates um, for Pacific are roughly around twenty percent. I think it's eighteen point something. And um, for me, uh, in the future, I, I think um, unless we sort out the wealth creation aspect, and that generally is going to be home ownership, unless you're really clever with shares. But I think it it um, it is cliche, but it is getting more Pacific into owning their homes. And and to the point that um, Leilani made before, you know, um, we we are different from Māori, but we invest heavily in our communities, and and invariably that's a church, and and a lot of them have quite large holdings of of land, and and I just, I think we're not quite connecting the dots in terms of collective ownership of land, which a congregation is generally invested in, and how that might be uh, better leveraged off uh, to help um, a Pacific family, if not into rental accommodation, um, but into owning their home. And I do fear if, if, if we don't turn that around that we will become this generation of renters. And I know um, that's a problem across the board, but we're kind of the leading indicator. I think I stole that from Dr. Damon Salessa, but we're, we're kind of the, the, we're the canary. And um, and I think we got the indicator a long time ago. So for me, um, one of the parts of success, and it's hard to, to capture fully what success would look like for Pacific, but, but it would be increasing those rates of, of home ownership. And it's unfortunate because when I look at my parents' generation, and I'm second generation, my parents came from, from somewhere in the um, 60s and, and 70s. My parents' generation, they owned their homes. And I, can't, I don't even know what the mortgage rates were back then. I, but I, I think there were uh, initiatives and programs that were a little bit more open to that um, part of the community um, getting on the, um, the home ownership uh, ladder, but we're not seeing it now. And then we're getting generations that do not own homes. So, if, so for me, I think that wealth creation aspect is going to be significant, and it, and it came through in our engagements um, last year through this report we called a Lunga Ful, where they, Pacific people are more than aware they need to own homes, own assets that appreciate, and, and also get into business as well and be the, the, the masters of, of their own things.
3: Um, For me It's really A bigger question For New Zealand Like I guess What I'd like to see Is actually We need to shift Our mindset I think Um, as a country clearly our business model needs addressing Um, and actually so we need to address the fact that actually if we're serious about wanting to get equitable outcomes then we need to be talking about quality work and we need to think about that in broader terms than just what we've done in the past right so our young people one of the greatest gifts that Pacific peoples have is that we're really creative and there's an educationalist Michelle Johansson she talks about this called, Called cultural literacies. So it's inherent. We're born into essentially an ocean that we have to navigate two worlds from day one and we know how to swim there. So you know you find things like relationship management lateral thinking, ability to be multilingual, like these are things that we bring, um, the ability to get um, maximize collective value, these are things that our country needs, particularly when you think about innovation and when you think about doing things in a way that's new to address complex issues and problems. What we haven't seen is a shift in the colonial mindset. In general terms, that says essentially that Pacific peoples have real value to bring to those conversations. We still typically have a mindset that frames us as the other. There's a lot of social social polarization. There's a lot of not understanding us, not really getting to know us very well, Um, and we need to address those things as a society. So. For me, part of that means that people need to start thinking about what kinds of literature have I read? What kinds of people do I hang out with in my spare time and start to think about what diversity means for them in a genuine sense in their real lives? When we start to get that and we start to see New Zealand leaders thinking that way, then what will happen is it'll be a natural flow and effect because it will be the most obvious value proposition sitting there. Pacifica we're young we're growing um, we're ready, we're very ready um, and and the moment is now it's just a question of whether New Zealand is willing to catch up with us. Well, I think the only thing I'd like to add for me in terms of what would success look like it's Pacifica
1: people being at the decision-making table and making decisions and making calls and being sort of leaders across the board so not just in sport yes in arts but also in commerce and healthcare and education section just across the board and not just leading um i guess you know sort of decisions and processes for our own people but for all of new zealand so we're sort of responsible and, and provide input to you know across the society across all spectrums of what it means to be living in new zealand
2: Sorry, I just wanted to add, um, you know, while I do hold some fears for people, I think that whole, it is the future of work, but it is the the future of the future kind of thing. And, And I think that does hold opportunity for, for Pacific peoples, the shift towards um, more modular um, qualifications, which you're seeing a little bit in the, in the building and construction sector, should actually fit with Pacific who, and I, th- I suspect there is a parental sort of stigma attached to, you must go to university, you must become a lawyer, you must become a doctor. So I think with the way we are seeing some of those um, big trends, uh, you know, media trend, we are seeing some of those um, those factors of production shifting to the consumer, and generally we are the, the, the makers of stuff. Um, we're, not, we're not the creators and, and getting into that higher value and in, in the value chain is important. But I think it's getting in front of those changes that might actually empower Pacific people. And, you know, if you think of a world where, you know, we, we might have solar panels in our own homes and it might be not only generate uh, electricity, but retail it as well back into a grid. If you look at um, 3D um, printers and, and what that might offer, I know, a community and a church that might be able to leverage, get scale, and produce that. So I think um, the future holds a lot of fears for me, but, but I think if, if we can understand better those big shifts um, in the economy and the big shifts um, in the future, then there might be opportunities. For the Pacific. So I I didn't want to sound all all doom and and gloom, (laughs) but I think there's a lot of work going into it, and future work is such a cliche now, but but I think it's key really understanding how um, some of those adjustments might actually benefit Pacific people and and suit our uh, communal collective um, living um, economy.
0: Well, it sounds like there are lots of opportunities to create uh, success on many levels if we're prepared to flex what we do today to be more, more inclusive and, and open up those possibilities. I, th- I think that's just about all we have time for in this episode. Maro Apito, Vinaka, thanks again to our guests, Iona, Matthew, uh, Leilani, and Lisa. Uh, you can find the latest State of the State articles at slash nz state of the state where you can also sign up for future articles. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.